It's a pleasure to be back with you again this morning on this Lord's Day to share God's Word with you. I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever asked the question or have you ever heard one ask the question, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you doing this right now? God, if you're there and you're good, why must I endure what I'm going through now? Whether it be illness, a broken relationship, uncertainty of test results, MRI results, blood test, whatever it is, have you ever asked the question, God, why are you doing this to me? Our text for this morning is a familiar one to all of you, I'm sure. It comes from the gospel according to Mark, the fourth chapter. We'll be looking this morning and asking God to reveal to us the truths of this passage here found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through the end of the chapter. Jesus calms the storm. With that question in mind, God, why are you doing this to me? One of the recurring themes of Mark's gospel, you're aware, I'm sure, is who is Jesus? Mark's continuously driving us as his readers to ask that question and reveal to us great truths about who Jesus is. And here he tells us in this passage that we'll look at this morning, he tells us how the disciples asked it, and they asked it, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now one interesting thing to note about the passage before we read it is how detailed the account is in, re in regarding this event in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we all know that Mark's notoriously uh, notorious for simply stating the facts and nothing but the facts. Just the facts, nothing but the facts. But here Mark is more detailed than any other gospel writer. It's a very detailed description. And many believe that Mark wrote on behalf of his mentor, the Apostle Peter. And we know that Peter was an eyewitness to these things recorded here in Mark 4, being one of those terrified sailors himself that day. So our text for this morning is Mark chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 35 through 41. Before we do, let's ask God to bless the reading of it. But if you don't mind, would you please indulge me and stand uh, for the prayer and reading of God's word if you're able. Thank you. 
Our Father and our God, this is your word. Holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, I pray our only rule of faith and practice. And Father, we ask that you might grant us the truth of its message this day. That we would discover the answer to the question that plagues many of our hearts. God, why are you doing this? We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word. And we pray that it would, above all else, guide us this day. In Christ's name, amen. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? That we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, Excuse me, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled, filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands true forever. Amen. Please be seated. This is a familiar story to so many. I, I know that you've heard messages on this over and over again. And what Mark is seeking to do here in really the three stories uh, throughout chapter 4 is show us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's Son who is God the Son. Let me say that again. He is God's Son who is God the Son. He's the Messiah. He, he is the one who rules over the forces of nature and chaos. Mark's desire in these stories, these three stories in chapter 4, is that we would see the majesty and glory of Christ, the King, who rules over all. Now some have concluded, and I think, Perhaps wrongly, gutsy for nobody like me to say, that the point of this particular passage is this. Jesus calmed the storm on the lake that day, and he can calm the storms in your life too. Now, if that's all this passage said, we should say that to ourselves 15 times, and we would get out of here real early today, wouldn't we? Jesus calms the, sto the storm on the lake that day, and he can calm the storms in your life too. Go in peace. 
Now, be assured that that is true, right? That is true. But I'm not completely convinced that that's the main point of the passage. You see, again, remember what Mark's aim is. Mark's aim is to show us Christ. To show us who he is, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who rules over all nature, the one who rules over the powers of darkness, over sickness, disease, sorrow, and even death itself. So let's take a look at this this morning. We said Mark, who's known for his brevity, he's very much detailed here in this account. So let's just look this morning at some of the details. You know, the reason why I'm preaching such a familiar text to you, even though I'm in the midst of a deep, deep uh, series through the book of Romans, uh, I waited until I was 54 years old to even begin to teach or preach through the book of Romans uh, for fear I didn't quite understand it. I still don't think I quite understand it, but at least I'm doing it. And I took a detour this week, and I've been taught through great mentors of mine that the best sermons are the ones you preach to yourself. And they're the ones you should preach to your congregation. Now, grant you, I preach every sermon that I preach in a public forum, in a forum first to myself, but this particular passage has had its own personal effect for me the last couple weeks. So let's look at the details. One you're, ones you're familiar with, I'm sure, but let's look at them. There's the boat, right? There's the boat. Now, if you remember, the boat was introduced back in chapter 3. Uh, I like what Begg says here. Jesus establishes a floating pulpit of sorts. I like that. The crowd had pushed up against Jesus. The crowd was so, the the multitude was so large that they were pushing him back. And Jesus said, hey, get that boat. I'm going to get in the boat. Push me offshore a little bit so I can back up away from the people just a little bit. So there's the boat. And then we're told that Jesus does what he usually does. He says, let's go somewhere else. Don't you love that about our Lord? Time and time again in the gospel narratives, we're told that Jesus goes and he teaches and he preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he comes back to his disciples in those private moments between him and his, his, his disciples. And he says, hey, let's go over here now. Let's go to another place so I can teach and preach the gospel. So there's the boat. It was evening. That's an important fact. It was evening. Mark records it. It was evening. Why evening is important is storms on the Sea of Galilee were strong and ferocious, as you already know, and and at evening they were even more intensified. There were other boats with them, we're told, in the Pericope. So there's Jesus, there's the boat, it was evening, there were other little boats there. We're told that the squall or the storm was great and furious. This was no small storm. I remember one year 
I don't, my, if my wife looks up at me, uh, what year was, was it Forrest or Foster or the, the hurricane we lived through in Delray? Doesn't matter, it was one of those. <laughs> and it was our first coming from Pennsylvania and our house smelled like uh, plywood for boarding the windows and all those things. that you, I thought shoveling snow and raking leaves was a deal. No, preparing for hurricanes is a bigger deal. Uh, I'm in no hurry to return to that. That was a ferocious storm. And I'm from the land of floods where I've seen water rise to great depths and destroy all kinds of things. And yet, I remember sitting there and I was reading through Calvin's commentaries because I had to. And I'm sitting there with one of those old oil lamps. And we heard this boom, bang, crash, all that kind of thing. I was scared to death, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought Jesus was coming back. I thought maybe we ought to remove one panel <laughs> from the windows so I can see if he did come back and we were left behind or whatever it is. <laughs> Tongue in cheek for sure. It was a ferocious storm. We need to understand the depths of that storm. We were scared, weren't we? The water, the transformers popping. We're told that the boat was in danger of being completely swamped. It's an important fact. The boat was filling with water. We're told where Jesus was in the boat. Mark takes time to do that. He's in the stern. We're also told what he was doing in the boat. He was asleep. Well, I wish I could have slept the night of that storm. How many storms have come into your life in different ways and kept you up at night? Kept you anxious, worried, wondering. Doubting. Jesus was asleep. We're also given the detail that he was sleeping on a cushion. Now there's debate on this in my own mind and I don't want to project my own ideas on the text. We've all seen artwork depict, depicting the church in the midst of the world. That's really what that artwork's about that we see over and over again of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, calming the storm. In my own mind, I picture a cushion he's sitting on. In reality, it was probably just a leather head strap. Then we're told that the disciples woke him up. Good idea, huh? If all else fails, go get Jesus. And then we're told he got up and he took care of the matter, didn't he? And he says to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then we're told something else. We're told that the disciples were completely freaked out by this. And they started to say to each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him.
Question. Why were the disciples where they were? Why are the disciples out at evening? Out in the lake? And why did they end up in the storm? Have you ever asked that of this text? Why are they there? Why are, why are they out there to start with? Everyone knows you don't go out in the dark. The Sea of Galilee, it, the storms are more intense. Plus, you can't see. Why are they out there and why did they end up in the storm? First, I want you to notice why uh, they were not there. Okay? It's important for us to understand that the disciples weren't in the middle of the storm. Why they weren't in the middle of the storm. They were not facing this predicament because they were disobedient. Let me say that again. The disciples weren't out there because they were bad. Because they sinned against God. Because of their own foolish choices. And we know by our own personal experience, and we know by the entirety of Scripture, that our choices, our foolish choices, always and do bring consequences, don't they? But I need you to notice, they're not there because of a foolish choice they made. They're not there because they were being disobedient. What we do know is that the disciples found themselves in the eye of this storm because they were obedient. Think about that. They were obedient. It was obedience to the word of Jesus that found them in the place that now was challenging them so. Look at it with me. On that day, verse 35, when evening had come, he said to them what? Let us go across to the other side. It was Jesus' idea to get in the boat and go to the other side. They were obedient to the word of Jesus and their obedience, because they were obedient, they found themselves now in this place that challenged them. The principle is this, and if you get nothing else out of this message, please get this. God is a God who for his own purposes and his own glory leads his people into storms. Leads his people into difficulties. Leads his people into a place where they wonder if they have any faith at all. It was God's idea, or Jesus' idea. Oh, God, God incarnate. Let's go to the other side. But I think the principle that's often missed is just that, that Jesus didn't solve all the disciples' problems and protect them from trials and difficulties. In fact, we know sometimes he led them quite deliberately into them. Now, notice that the storm was a great storm. It was furious. And we kind of already alluded to this. And I'm not going to give you all the hot air, cold air over the mountain 
Herman and Bo- right? You get all that. I am not a weatherman. Although if I was ever going to retake a job, it would be a weatherman because they could be wrong all the time. But anyhow, I'm not going to give you all that. You've read that and heard that a thousand times because of watch location. It's the geography, the typology, all that stuff, right? The storms are ferocious there. And they, bam, happen at an instant. It can be calm, clear, beautiful. No sign, no warning. And the next thing we know, our boat's filling with water. It was a great storm. And it must have been great. Don't miss this. Because it caused those who were familiar with it to be terrified. It wasn't like these guys didn't know this happened. Didn't You know what I mean? was it? Surprise. <laughs> it was a re- routine journey for many of them. There were experienced sailors in the boat. And yet it leads the disciples to cry for Jesus to help, for help. And yet what we see here is that what happened is, is that they had quickly passed the point of their knowledge, of their know-how. And in fact, what they found was what they knew wouldn't help them at all right now. Their expertise, their years of sailing, their understanding of the conditions. Wouldn't help them now. It was of no help in this particular circumstance. They found out that they had no control. And actually, they found out they never had control. And what they lost was the notion that they had any control at all. And that, doesn't that impact us as in our walk of faith? The notion that we have any control at all. God is good and God is faithful and God loves me and we sing the hymns and the hymns are so fitting for today, for this passage and also for me personally, so fitting. But often God, we see clearly, he brings us into difficulties. He brings us into the eye of the storm to test our faith, to see truly if we're relying on him. Or the misconception that we're in control. And so we're told that they have to go to Jesus to wake him up. (laughs) You need to watch Beg's video here. This is awesome on this passage. And as you can tell, he influences me greatly. I like Beg. I like him a lot. Beg says, I wonder, and I don't want to do this again, but I wonder if they took like a little poll or vote. You go and wake him up. (laughs) 
No, you go and wake him up. All right, short straw goes, right? I'm not going, you go. I mean, the boat's sinking and the guy's sleeping. So the guy who draws the short straw kind of goes back and not just Jesus. <laughs> and again, this isn't mine. I got this from Beg. Not just him. Uh, excuse me, sir, if you don't mind. <laughs> Some of the others here are worried. Maybe you could get up and, I don't know, if you want to uh, help us out or do something. I don't believe that either. And I'm not told, and we're not told even with all the detail how it went, but I can sure imagine it went something like this. Jesus, get up, help! Help! This isn't a storybook kind of storm. Jesus, now, please help. Come help us. Now notice what they asked him. Don't you care if we drown? Jesus, help. Don't you care? I would suggest that you ask Jesus anything you want to except for that. What, if, what do you think Jesus must have thought? Do I care? Are you serious? I became a man for you. I was perfectly happy in the, in the, in the Trinity, in the Godhead. I took on flesh to redeem that which I created. I lived a life of perfect obedience for people like you. To turn away the wrath of a holy and righteous God, my Father. And I paid for each sin. You've ever committed, you are now presently committing in those you will commit, both in the things that you've done and the things that you've left undone. Don't I care? Really? You see, the storm, the disciples allowed the storm to come in between them and the assurance of Christ's love for them. They allowed their circumstance to come between what they knew, if you will, of Christ. In themselves. How many times in your life do you do that? In the eye of the storm, Jesus, are you there? Are you good? Don't you care? I'm suffering. (coughs) 
You see, they've forgotten the word of Christ. It was Jesus who said, let's go to the other side of the boat. And rest assured, if Jesus said we're going across, we can be guaranteed what? We're going to make it. Look at verse 35 again. Because I want you to see this. Because we go so fast. Let us go across. This is Jesus. <laughs> we go so fast through that. This is Jesus telling them. And what they did was they, as I said before, they doubted the reality of Jesus' love toward them. And they re- doubted the reality of his word to them. Beloved, don't doubt. The reality of Jesus' love toward you. Regardless of your circumstance or how challenging it might be, don't doubt the reality of his word to you. Verse 39. Notice the eye of detail here. Let me find it. I apologize. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. I like Hendrickson here. He says it muzzles the storm. No, Lane wrote that. I apologize. Lane wrote that. Here, Jesus muzzles the storm. Now, we need to understand this didn't happen progressively like in 20 minutes. Like in Florida, we can have, you guys can back me up here, Mike. Uh, We can have a really bad storm and everything's crazy, right? And the sky's black and everything's going nuts. Winds are howling. The waves start going crazy. And then the sun can come out. But what? The waves remain for a while sometimes, don't they? Or most of the time. Again, I'm not this guy. I just sit there and go, wow. But it's true, the waves, and then they kind of settle down, right? No, no, no. Jesus says, he stands up, and he says, peace, be still. Boom. Game over. The winds are hushed. The seas are calm. It didn't happen progressively. It happened instantly. It's mind-blowing. And really what we have here is Genesis 1, don't we? God spoke in what? Come on, people. God spoke in what? It was. God said, let there be light. And there was. Here's God incarnate speaking to the wind and to the sea and telling it to hush. And that which created it tells you to hush. You hush. The problem is, in our relationship with God, we're kind of like our children or grandchildren. I'll use my grandchildren. My kids have been beat for 30-some years. I'll use my grandkids. Pop said no. But Pop, Pop said no. Please, Pop, Pop. And then it would get a little hug on your leg or a little hug on your side. Please, Pop, Pop. Pop said no. Your grandmother's been cooking all day long. You guys have been eating cookie and junk all day long. No, no candy. Papa, please. Don't we do that with God? 
God says, no. But, God, but, I said, no. But God. And what we see here is God incarnate. And we need to learn the lesson and not miss it. When he speaks, we should be obedient to what he says. Because even the wind and the waves obey him. And yet we think we can question him. So we have Genesis 1 here. And look at verse 34. Jesus quiets the storm, but he causes a great storm, doesn't he? (laughs) Jesus quiets the storm on the lake and causes a great storm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this? He quieted the storm and he caused a storm in their hearts. They were terrified because they had a glimpse into the majesty of who Christ truly is. It's like in the midst of a dark storm, right? Think storms, stay in storms. Lightning strikes. You go from can't see anything to what? Oh, 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 look. You see things, right? Kind of almost like that. Disciples are in the midst of this storm. It's black. It's terrifying. And bang, lightning strikes. God incarnate gets up, speaks, rebukes the wind and the sea. And now, now they're scared. I think the application is pretty simple here. We need to work diligently in our own lives to understand that in every storm and in every trial, there's an opportunity for us to wonder again at the majesty of Christ. To be at awe of who he is, the authority he is, to remember who he is, and to recall his words spoken to us. He is Jesus, King. He is Jesus, Prophet. He is Jesus, the Priest. He is Ruler of all nature. Jesus who is personal, the personal living God who intervenes in the experience of men with a revelation of his power and the declaration of his word. We need to remember what is true about the God of Israel is true about Jesus Christ. At all times and in every sphere, Jesus exercises Sovereign control over every situation. So what? I've been struggling in my own personal walk. I've been listening to a lot of sermons again and and feeding in the word and all kinds of things. And and 
something that has become problematic in evangelicalism at large is the focus on the imperatives, the commands in Scripture. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Oh no, we're grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Do this, don't do that. Just stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop it. Stop it. Right? But it's always at the expense of the indicatives. Those things, the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, labor to establish in three quarters of all of their works the things that are already ours. Right? We struggle, I think, with the imperatives, the commands, because we don't spend enough time in what is. The reality of who we are in Christ Jesus and the reality of who he is. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? The more we love Christ Jesus, the more we'll be willing, Lord willing, to be more obedient. Right? I think that's why if you look at something like the book of Romans or even Ephesians, the majority of it is the indicative. They state the facts and just the facts and nothing but the facts. Because of Christ this, in Christ that, this is yours in Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Oh, don't do that. Don't do this. Stop doing that. If you're prone to ask why, God, you're doing this. Spend more time in discovering who he is. That's what these stories are for. So we would know Jesus better. That we would love him more. Now, in conclusion, I told you that this spoke to me directly and I spent a lot of time in this pericope. And <laughs> in, in, in conclusion, and you're not supposed to say that, so I didn't say that. Um, let me suggest this. Are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And before we judge again the disciples too quickly, they had a little faith. They got in the boat because Jesus told them to. So let's not throw rocks completely. Most of us say, no, that's not a good idea, Jesus. Uh, I've been sailing for 40 years, and let me tell you, mister, this probably isn't the time for us to go. I can see in the northeast and the southerly western winds that, right? We know those guys too, don't we? So they were somewhat obedient. They got in the boat. They had a little faith. But let me ask you, are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Do you still have no faith? Here's the thing about faith. It's not something we can just put in our pockets and have handy when we need it. Too many Christians live in this reality, or in this, not reality. Well, it's a reality for them. They shouldn't live in it. You see, faith really is like a muscle, isn't it? It needs to be used to stay strong. 
in our daily prayer, in our Bible reading, in our weekly worship and fellowship with each other, and in the exercise of of the, the, the sacraments. And all those things means a grace given to us by God himself. Those are things that we must continuously do. You see, most of us fall in one of two categories. We read our Bible when everything's good, or we read our Bible when everything falls apart. But we have no consistency. Right? Is that fair? Think about it. We read the Bible when everything's good. It's a nice day. I'll get my Bible. I'll look like Joe Christian. And we read our Bibles. Let me sit out on the veranda. And talk to the Lord. And then others of us, the wheels fall off. Where's my Bible? Where's my Bible? That's, faith is something, it's like a muscle. We need to exercise it. Why do basketball players spend so much time doing free throws? Think about that. They work day in and day out. They practice hard. But all of them, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds from the foul line. Why? Because when they're exhausted in the games on the line, what do they want? They're really looking for muscle memory, aren't they? To make the shot. I played football. Mike can relate to this. I used to hate kickers. Kickers seemed to do nothing through camp. Through <laughs> They did nothing. We were bloody, sweaty exhausted, tired, and he looked over and there's a bunch of skinny guys kicking the ball. That's all they did. All day long, kick the ball. Now, when the game had 33 seconds left and we sent that little skinny, wirely little guy out there, I was sure glad he kicked hundreds and hundreds of field goals, right? Or a golfer on a putt. Anyway, you get the analogy. Are you exercising your faith regardless of your circumstance? Whether it be in a storm or whether the sea be calm, our practice should be the same. Right? And it's not. I apologize. Many of you... Uh, you guys don't have to worry about it because I can't even see you unless I look through my right eye. Okay? So don't... I don't want anybody to say, boy, he really directed attention at us. We must be the one. We're the sinners at Robot. No, you're not. I uh, recently have been uh, diagnosed with uh, an eye condition, a nerve condition in my left eye. It's a neurological thing. And uh, it's a NC6 palsy prolapse. Uh, I have what a my wife's going like this. So what is happening is my left eye does not track with my right eye. I'm 54 years old. And that is frustrating. It's a beautiful thing to go out and see six moons, though, at night. Just let me tell you that. Uh, kind of freaky, too. But that's what was going on in my life recently. In the eye of the storm. Went to this doctor. I don't know. Went to that doctor. You need to go see this guy. I don't know. We go to this guy. He says, you're going to get an MRI right now. Right? 
And I'm like, okay, big fella. I mean, I'm already scared to death. I'm seeing double on my left eye. Right? I'm thinking I had a stroke. Shocker, right? <laughs> no shock, I'm hypertensive. He says, you're going for an MRI. I said, okay. He says, do you want an open tube, a closed tube? The nurse asked. I said, hey, whatever. She says, get it open, get it open. He'll flip out. He'll do what he's told. This is my doctor. Such a calming influence. <laughs> right? You got a nerve six, four, three, palsy, hut, hut, go. Oh, what are we ruling out? Stroke, tumor, MS. Uh, is there anything good in that list, doctor? Lesions, right? Had me scared to death. Had a Clemson shirt on, which was to his bad, my saving grace, because I had to change the subject and say something smart about Clemson. And I looked at the man, <laughs> and he walked out. He said, I'm ordering it right now. And I, he flipped out. He was not a comforting presence in the midst of the storm. I thought, man, this guy's calling 911, honey. So I started to cry. I'm not, even gonna, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I teared up. I was scared to death. Now, I'd be honest with you, I'm leery of those guys that, I'm ready to die. I'm right with Jesus. I don't care what the Lord brings. And they start quoting, and they make you feel bad because you're scared. I'm always leery of those guys. You know, death's not the natural thing. That's the result of sin. Now, I didn't say I wasn't assured where of what was going if I died, but I'm not looking for death. And in the same token, we shouldn't melt, should we? I started to tear up, and I looked at the lady, the nurse, and she was sweet, and she was sent by God because the other guy was just nuts. And I said, ah, sorry about that big baby. She goes, no, sir, I understand. But remember this. The one that brought you in here will take you out of here. Huh. You thought I was crying before? The one that brought you here, sir, he'll take you out. He'll take you through it's kind of my message of encouragement to you this morning. If you find yourself in the eye of a storm somewhere and you want to doubt and stomp and cry and ask God, why are you doing this? I'm supposed to be in Pakistan. <laughs> Do something good. Share the gospel with a bunch of people who have never heard the gospel. What? I can't go now. Not right now. Be encouraged. He might have on his own accord. But I know he's ordained to be so. Brought you in this storm. For you to ask yourself, where's my faith? Jesus calmed the storm on the lake. He can calm the storm in your life. Why? Because of who he 
Our Father and our God, we thank you for this word. And we pray that you would indeed bless us with your spirit, that we be a people who exercise our faith in season and out of season. That we are people who are hungry more and more for your word, that we might, by your spirit, understand you more and see you clearly in all things. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so that you became a man and you went to the cross and you conquered death on behalf of people like us. May we never ask you if you care. Thank you for caring. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. If you would take your hymnal now and stand with me as we sing our hymn of response, Amazing Grace, number 460, we'll sing verses 1, 2, and 6.